This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we are talking about the topic of how the SECURE Act affects you. Now, the interesting thing about the SECURE Act is that it was something that was passed at the end of last year, and so I've invited Kelsey Banky to come on the show with me this morning. Kelsey is also a certified financial planner in our Stirk Financial office. She's down in our Kansas City branch. And uh, welcome, Kelsey. There's a lot to know in this SECURE Act, isn't there? This is a lot of change that came out at the end of 2019, so I'm excited to talk about uh, the changes. There's some opportunity here. There's some things you definitely need to be aware of so you don't get stuck in a a problem and some extra cost, but I think there's a lot of good stuff to talk about today. I agree with that. So the SECURE Act was passed right at the end of 2019 and took effect January 1, 2020, and it actually has a pretty wide-sweeping impact on anybody who has retirement dollars. I think that's probably how we can phrase that. (laughs) So if you have an IRA or a 401k or any kind of retirement money, listen up because this definitely affects you. It does. It's it's wide sweeping. So pay, pay attention so that you get the best benefit. So here's the thing. Let's talk about the thing that I think most people are talking about first, and then we're going to dive into the things that people might not be talking about that actually have a bigger impact on you. So the the first big change is the age that you have to start taking your required minimum distribution. So Kelsey, share with us a little bit about what that change was. Sure. So the, the RMD age, or required minimum distribution for short, we call them RMDs, the RMD age prior to this change was age 70 and a half. And so that what that means is that age 70 and a half, there is a certain amount that uh, the individual would have to withdraw from their IRA accounts and 401k accounts and things like that um, in order to be in compliance. So RMDs essentially are the government saying you've had enough tax deferral, it's time to start paying tax on this. And there's a certain amount each year that has to be taken. That amount is based on the December 31st value of the prior calendar year. Right. Uh, So it used to be seven and a half, the change now, this is for people who turn 70 and a half after January 1st, 2020. But if you turn 70 and a half after that date, you now are no longer required to take it at 70 and a half. You can delay at up to age 72 if you would like. Yeah, so that's great. I mean, anybody who has large IRAs and is being forced to take out money that they don't necessarily need now has a nice delay of about a year and a half before you have to actually take that money. So that's a great thing for the required minimum distribution side. Now, Kelsey did make a good point there. If you turn 70 and a half before January 1 of 2020, you fall under the old rules. So make sure you understand that that day and your age on that day is the distinction. And so you know if you fall under the old rules and have to take it or if you get a delay until you're age 72. But here's the thing, the, that, that's, a, that's a good thing for people who are alive and have IRA balances. But the other change that actually has more impact than this required minimum distribution rule has to do with beneficiaries who are going to inherit those IRAs. So it's nice that we get to delay taxation for those required minimums, and the government did us a favor for that. 
However, the government made this rule in, in, for many reasons, but one of the reasons was so that they could actually create more revenue for themselves. And the way that they're creating the revenue for themselves with this new law is they've changed the way that beneficiaries get taxed on things. And this is a huge deal. Like, I mean, this is a really, really big deal. So it used to be that if your children inherited your IRAs, then they could choose to take what's called a stretch IRA. And it means that they would still have to take that required minimum distribution every year, but they could do it over their lifetime. And by doing that, they could take out little bits every year and be taxed on just the little bits each year. And then the bulk of the money could sit in there and still continue to grow. And your children could manage your taxes, basically. They could manage when that money was coming out for taxes, which I think is a huge benefit of the stretch IRA. Now, the big change here is the stretch IRA is gone for most people. And now your beneficiaries are required to take the money out and distribute it and pay taxes on it by the end of the year of 10 years following the date of death. So instead of having to take it out over many, many, many years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, now it's squished down into having to take it out over a 10 year period. And it's not something that you have to take out year by year. It can be taken out any time during those 10 years. Now, this is a crazy change. This is Huge like, change. <laughs> when Mary says this is a big deal, this is a big deal. I was just working with a gentleman uh, uh, last week who had over $2 million in tax-deferred money. And I asked him what his plan was with it when it, you know, when he's, he passes away and it's going first to his wife and then to his three children. Well, that means each of those children would have to take $600,000 plus in taxable distributions at the event of his death if he hasn't drawn it down by then. And that's a, that's a huge blessing to have that, you know, some of money come to you, but that could really mess up some things from a tax perspective. Um, if it's not managed correctly or uh, efficiently. So Kelsey, in that example where someone has $2 million, three kids, so first of all, what didn't change is that a spouse can still take over the account as their own and they can take lifetime distribution. So that's good news if you're married. But if money eventually is gonna go to children, then like the example Kelsey just said, that 600,000 plus for each child is gonna have to be distributed sometime within 10 years. Now they can distribute it all at once, which of course that kind of distribution being all taxable is gonna throw them into the highest tax bracket. Or they can elect to spread that out over the 10 years, but you're never gonna be able to spread it out exactly because if there's growth or if there's losses in some years, then it's gonna be an unequal distribution over 10 years. Here's the other thing that is a little bit crazy about this. The required minimum distribution rules have a massive penalty if you don't take out the money when you're supposed to. And the amount of the penalty that you actually have to pay if you miss your required minimum distribution is 50%. Five oh, that you heard that right, 50%. And so if you have somebody that accidentally missed taking their money out and it was a large amount by that end point of the 10th year, and you have a 50% penalty on that, man, you are going to have some massive issues with the IRS in terms of penalties. And yeah, we really don't just, want to lose IRA value to penalties. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you can't see me, but my eyes are big. Because <laughs> of all of this, the, the potential for, uh, you know, things to go awry. Mm -hmm. I think it just proves 
more and more the, the fact that this, this needs to be an intentional decision and not an afterthought. Um, and I know it's not going to impact the, the actual person who accumulated this wealth, but usually if they're leaving money to somebody, it's because they care about them. Right. <laughs> and if you can uh, just do some things or, you know, there, there's some things that can be done and just, again, knowing it, that it's, that could happen. There's uh, ways to avoid it where, where possible. And if you care about that person, it might be worth doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to think about it this way. Yes, they gave us some relief on when we have to start those required minimum distributions, but man, they really did a, a job on our beneficiary taxation because now instead of over many, many, many possible years, the government is going to get to taxation on that within 10 years. So how, how can you plan for that? I mean, that's really kind of what I want to dip into next because there are a couple of classes of beneficiaries that are excluded from this. There, there's a handful of types of beneficiaries like minors, some disabled um, beneficiaries, things like that, chronically ill, that can still do it under the old rules, but the majority of people are going to file under these new rules. So how do you plan for this? Number one, if you have children um, who are... Um, non-responsible with money, and, and a lot of people do have children who aren't the most responsible with money, then it, it used to be we would say, well, gosh, you know, maybe we should still let that money go directly to the child and let it spread out over their lifetime because the tax situation is so much better. But now I think we're going to see a resurgence of new trust being written in and have the beneficiary of your IRA be a trust that actually spells out when that money is going to be distributed to them. So that's one thing, is you might want to reconsider leaving money directly to children and possibly have it conduit to them through a trust so you can control the payout of that and know that the tax significance of that is going to be, it is going to pass through your trust and therefore is likely to be taxable when it actually distributes to the child. So I mean, that that's something that you have to be aware of, but I, I think that that's a good planning tool for people. Another thing I think we'll start seeing as well is people being more strategic on drawing down uh, those uh, traditional assets, those pre-tax assets, um, especially while they're able to maybe claim a joint tax return. And mm-hmm. there's there's definitely tax planning that can be done now um, that can have a, a pretty big long-term effect. Yes. Um, So what Kelsey's saying about drawing down like that is that drawdown means a strategy where you're intentionally spending money out of an account that's maybe more than what it's earning. So you're intentionally taking money from somewhere and spending it even though you don't necessarily need it or maybe instead of something else it becomes a priority piece of your income strategy. So there's different ways to look at it. But here's the deal is that we're in a tax situation right now where we have lower tax brackets than we've had in a long time. And so if you're going to have to take money during a situation where taxes are due on it, it's nice to be able to take it in a low tax environment. (laughs) So that's why we're saying a drawdown strategy might start to make sense for people because you're combining the long-term planning with the short-term current tax brackets and that can create a better tax environment for your IRAs. Another thing that people are starting to think about is staggering their beneficiaries too. So let's say that you and your spouse both have a million dollar IRA and you've got one child. And so ideally you would normally have said, I'm going to leave all my money to my spouse. And then when we both are gone, then my child's going to inherit that money. 
But let's say that that money is kind of your never money, like, or, or maybe you may not need that money, you know, you're only taking the required minimum distributions, and so the likelihood is the balance might grow. Okay, so in that situation where you both have a million dollar IRA, it's certainly possible that $2 million is going to be all left to one child. And so with the staggering of beneficiaries is saying something like this, maybe leave half of it to your spouse and half of it to your one child at the first death. Because that starts the 10-year clock ticking at the first death, that first one has to be distributed. And then at the second death, the rest of it would come to the child and a new 10-year clock is going to start ticking on that second amount. Now there may be years where you have to take out money from both of them, or it would be advantageous to take out money from both of them. But if you don't, if both parents don't die in the same year, then you've at least lengthened the 10-year period. <laughs> in, excuse me, instead of all having it come out in one year. So there's a variety of strategies that the new Secure Act can can actually put into place for people when you're thinking about distributions from IRAs. But it all comes down to understanding how your IRAs, 401ks are set up and how it's gonna actually impact your own personal situation. So this is actually a really, really good time to come in and talk to us to understand the impact of this and to see what kind of planning might need to be put into place to most effectively manage the new rules for you. Congratulations to Mary Stirk for being named the 2020 Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list for the third year running. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we have been talking about the new Secure Act and how it affects you. And um, we've talked a little bit about the IRA provisions for required minimum distributions when you hit age 72 now. And we've talked about how the massive change has come into place for beneficiaries. But the SECURE Act affected more than just IRAs. And one of the most interesting provisions that it affected is the 529 plans. So Kelsey, share with us a little bit about how 529s changed. So 529s, you used to have to have um, some kind of receipt or um, generate some kind of proof in the year that you took a withdrawal that it went toward um, a cost for mm-hmm. education in that year. And what they're now allowing is that you can take up to $10,000 per year from a 529 and you can actually pay student loans with that. I think that's huge because people yeah. have student loans out there who are no longer in college and wondering, gosh, can I use this money for them? And you exactly. haven't been able to in the past. So that's awesome. Yeah, well, you hear that and all this stuff about the student loan crisis that's out there and um, people with these huge student loan um, values that are trying to repay this down. And there may be some wiggle room in this to give them some tax relief and helping pay back those uh, student loans. So I think it's a really interesting uh, change that they put into place. Yeah, so it also broadened the definition of what you can use it for even further, and now you can use it for registered apprenticeships. And that wasn't something that you could use 529 money for before, and now you can. But here's the kind of the cool strategy, right? So if if you live in a state, and every state differs, but if you live in a state that's giving you an income tax credit for your contributions to 529 plans, now here's really something that you can do that's kind of fun, right? Let's say you were going to pay $10,000 towards your student loans this year anyway, and maybe you're 10 years out of college. You might as well route that $10,000 into your 529, 
get the state tax deduction and then take the 529 money right back out and pay your student loans with it. Like that is an arbitrage of this new rule that is a heck of a deal to be able to get current tax credits in your state by utilizing the new rules. And I think that's super exciting. Yeah, it's kind of quirky, but uh, if you live in one of those states, it's a way to get a little bit of a, a tax savings where possible and still pay your student loans. We like tax savings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continuing on with the vein of students, here's something that's kind of a really weird part of this rule. But it used to be that, you know, if you were in grad school or postdoctoral school, you know, and if you weren't actually earning wages, you weren't given an opportunity to contribute anything into your IRAs because you've always in the past had to have actual wages to be able to contribute to things. Now, with the contributions now, students who are in grad school or postdoctoral can use tuition amounts paid counted as wages so they're actually eligible to make IRA contributions. I love this. I know, I do too. It just really opened up a whole new class of people who are pursuing education. And if you're doing that, awesome. And now you're not going to be precluded from being able to save for your retirement. Yes, and I, I you know, doing financial planning all these years, you can definitely tell people who got started early and this just opens up opportunity for people to get started even earlier than they would have before the SECURE Act. So yeah, I, I really like this feature. It's not going to affect a lot of people, but it, it can have some pretty good impact for those who can take advantage of it. One of the other quirkier rules that was part of the SECURE Act is about um, adoptions. And so when you think about having a child or adopting a child, then there's actually now a special provision from your IRAs that allows a withdrawal. So you can do a $5,000 withdrawal that's allowed from your IRA if you have a child or if you are adopting a child, and it can be done within one year from the date of birth or the date of adoption. So this is now allowing you to grab some of that money back out and you no longer have to worry about the 10% penalty for taking it out before you're 59 and a half. So yeah. it's kind of rewarding people who are making their families larger. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is, a, I think it's, again, it's great. It's, uh, you know, there's some good things about this character and some bad things. This is nice because it gives people access to that money um, and not penalizing them for wanting to go out and adopt a child that, that needs a new home. So I really like that one as well. I do too. And here's another thing that's kind of interesting about it is the rules say that you can actually repay this money if you want to later. Now, I haven't seen any actual IRS documentation or guidance yet on how you can do that or how you how you code that or when you can do that if there's any deadlines, but the rule does say that you can repay it. And so that's another kind of interesting feature. It's okay, I need the money now because I'm having a baby, but it's not going to have to create a long-term poor impact on my retirement because I have the ability to repay that later. And I like that they thought through that to be able to kind of help people now, but yet not set them back in the future, since it is an act about securing your retirement. Yeah, and usually I'm not a big fan of taking money out of your IRA for almost any reason, but that's it's any, anyone there. Right. And then I think that the an, another thing that is worth mentioning when it comes to some of the SECURE Act things and how it really does affect you is that there's now no age cap on your IRA contributions if you're still employed and you're earning wages. 
used to be that once you got to that required minimum distribution age, you could really no longer contribute to your IRAs even if you were still earning. And now you are still, if you are still earning, then you can delay it. Now, here's another kind of interesting way that you can play that to your advantage. So if you're somebody who is still working, and let's say you're 73 years old and you're still working and you're contributing to your 401k, um, the rules say that you do not have to take a required minimum distribution from your 401k. So it only is that the required minimum distribution is coming from IRAs or 401ks if you're no longer still working. So one of the, if you really don't need that required minimum, one of the very unique things that you could think about doing would potentially be to roll your IRAs into your 401k if you're still working in those upper ages. And then you could avoid that required minimum distribution until you actually are done working. Now I'm not saying from an investment standpoint or an overall investment allocation standpoint that that's a good idea. I'm just saying that from a tax standpoint, it might be worth considering as an option because it's going to allow you to adjust your um, required minimum distributions to most effectively minimize your tax impact. Okay. So we've talked about a lot of things connected to this SECURE Act, and we've talked about some different ways that you can kind of utilize these new rules to benefit you. I just want to make mention for a couple of things for anybody out there who's listening who um, is involved in their 401k plan at work from an HR standpoint. So if you're at all in charge of the benefits, here's what I want you to know. There are sweeping changes in this for 401k plans. And so from a standpoint of reviewing your 401k plan and making sure that it's going to follow all the new rules, your third-party administrator or your record keeper are going to be scrambling right now to try to figure out what they need to do to incorporate all of the new rules. There's a lot of them, and it's going to impact everything from the statements that your employees see to the way that your plan is actually managed. And so the IRS and the Department of Labor are working to create guidance and commentary for how these new rules are supposed to be implemented. The SECURE Act said this is the way that it's going to work now, but it wasn't clear enough on a lot of things for us to really understand how to actually execute on it. So more to come on the actual provisions in the group plans, if you're in charge of a group plan, but there are going to be changes. And then anybody who's involved in the plan, like I said, you're going to start seeing changes on your statements by this time next year of how these new rules have been implemented and how they're actually reporting the 401k information out to you. All right. So I hope that's been valuable as you are thinking about how this new SECURE Act has impacted you and what kind of things you can do to enhance your own retirement planning as a result of it. And whether you're an individual planning for retirement or whether you're a company with a 401k who's trying to understand how this impacts you, we would love it if you would reach out to us and have a conversation and uh, we can help you figure out how to enhance your own portfolio. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. 
Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. 